my name is Padraig Tuma. I'm from Ireland and I'm a poet and a theologian. And where are you at the minute? Right now I am in County Fermanagh, right on the Fermanagh-Donegal border actually. Uh-huh. And is, is that where you do you live there? Yeah. Uh, in Belfast as well, so kind of between the two. Right. Okay. And um, uh, how are things where you are? <laughs> <laughs> well, to where where I am is yeah. extraordinarily quiet. The only company I have are two hares who've been lolloping around the garden, who are beautiful. I've named them um, Oshin and Deirdre, and then uh, there are uh, birds. And yeah, I'm kind of in the middle of nowhere, so mm-hmm. I suppose that's good for isolating. But it is. Um, it's a strange time for for everyone, you know, whether you're in a city or, or what. I was in New Zealand until last week, and there'd been a trip that's been on the cards for about a year and a half, and so I was there and came back early. You came back early? Yeah, yeah. Borders were beginning to close, and it was just, um, I, I was aware that, you know, were there a need to, to be um, quarantined or even self-isolating while I was there, that um, that would be putting a burden on the people who are the hosts. Right. It would be putting a, a burden on the people who are the hosts. So I, um, yeah, my partner was there too. So we decided mm-hmm. to come back. Yeah. So so um, um, where where should we start? I mean, uh, um, as as somebody who's a writer and a thinker and a theologian, I mean, how do you begin to make sense of, um. Like you, you say strangeness, right? Um, the number of people who have used that word to me over the last couple of days, strange, or it feels it feels really weird. And, you know, people uh, struggle to articulate exactly what it is, I think, but they, they're definitely wrong-footed by the interruption to yeah. the normal process of their life as they see it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're just at the start of it, so of course it's strange times. There's there's no perspective whatsoever. Um, there are, you know, I was listening to the radio this morning. People were talking about the downsurge in new infections of COVID nineteen in China. But then somebody was asking the head of the see medicine some frontier WHO. Um, Irish guy Mike Ryan. Um, they were asking him like, is there going to be a second wave? And they were saying, well, we don't think so, but, you know, we need to be careful. So people don't entirely know when the end is going to be. So we're barely at the start. And you know, people are trying to make out landscapes about what to expect and how you can kind of flatten the curve, etc. But they are very strange times because they're foreign to us. We don't have a, a, a map or a landscape and people are desperate for news and news changes very quickly. Too. Do, you, do you feel that yourself in your own um, thinking about it? Totally. I mean, I think I'm one with most people in the sense of I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I uh, listen to the news. I try to follow along. I try to be sensible and um, then also try not to freak out when I look at six months of cancelled work and lots of other people in very similar situations and, and much worse situations too. I have bad asthma, so uh, I uh, am pretty aware that like were I to need a ventilator over the next six to seven weeks, um, there'd be a pretty slim chance of me getting a getting a hold or getting access to a ventilator. So um, I need to be pretty careful. Um, I, I mean, I'm I'm youngish. I'm 44, so I'm kind of I've got some strength and youth on my side, but um, I, I'm far from a kind of an at-risk category. But I need to. I'm a kind of a kind of a be careful category so I, I can't even imagine the anxiety for people who are in 
in very serious at-risk categories, as well as then everybody who's continued to work, you know, delivering posts or working mm. in shops or working in hospitals and care and all those other extraordinary jobs, running buses or public transport, um, all those things. Has the um, the sort of commencement of restrictions on movement and so on, um, has that been sort of a stage thing in Northern Ireland, the same as it has been in the rest of the UK or... So, I mean, the, the these borderlands where I am, like the border is a mile away from me in one direction. Um, yeah. I'm on the shore of Loch Erne. Um, so it's very strange times, you know, mostly I'm kind of shopping in Donegal and listening to RTE. So um, I'm kind of the Dublin government, even though there technically isn't a government at the moment because right. um, the elections most recently were fairly inconclusive. Um, the, the advice from the Republic seems to have been a lot clearer and a lot faster. Um, so I'm just following that. <laughs> so uh, I find the advice from um, the British government, it, it has taken, I think, um, Westminster and then certainly Stormont um, following that um, time to sort out their own shite really before they organise themselves enough to, to say something clear. Um, yeah, like a couple of days before Mother's Day, Boris Johnson was interviewed and they said, will you be seeing your mother? And he kind of hummed and hawed and he said, um, well, I hope so. I just thought, what, what an idiot. Of course, then on the day he was saying, no, I won't. I'll be phoning her. He should have been saying that a few days beforehand. And some of those resistances to saying we need to take this very, very seriously. Some of those resistances seem to be ideological rather than, you know, any kind of a, a, analytical uh, approach. So well, this isn't something that you can play politics about. This, is, this isn't this is something that is subject to news or fake news. This is um, something where you need to follow along real experts who are giving us changing but updating information. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's, it, seems, <laughs> it seems strange I, after... Well, I suppose I should say one of the things that any crisis like this, this is a crisis of unprecedented nature, any crisis will reveal the best of people and the worst of people. It will reveal the cracks that are there as well as reveal the glue that's there. And so much of the glue that's there is kind of amazing. You know, the early viral videos of Italians singing from their balconies and kindnesses that you see people doing in ways within which somebody comes in and is a cue and is maybe frail or whatever. People are being very, very considerate and that's magnificent. Um, but then you see um, the cracks in a system too. You might see where people would sometimes still rather win than cooperate with their political rivals. And that is um, ridiculous. I'd get fired if I was in a job where I was not putting my own interests above um, the, the interests of the job and public safety. Um, but certainly certain in some forms of um, public politicking, you see people who are putting their own ideologies ahead of it and their own desire to win. And so the, the cracks in the system will be as revealed as the glue. Do you feel that that has, has been less evident in the South, even though there isn't um, a, currently a, an administration? Uh, I mean, Varadkar has been, has Varadkar, he's yeah. been the sort of de facto... Still. He has been, yeah. And he is a doctor, so um, no, he hasn't practiced in a long time, but he he did train as a, as a medic. And so I think certainly his capacity to absorb information, to analyze information, and then to say, well, this is what we need to do, um, has has been beneficial. I should say, like, I'm not a Fine Gael supporter, but I, I do admire um, what he has done in the context of that. Um, I know today there's a 12-hour session of the Doyle where there's going to be discussion about some new emergency legislation to bring in before the end of the possibility of the kind of interim Doyle being able to do that. That ends on Sunday. So there's questions as to whether Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil 
together form a coalition government with some other small parties or i mean the greens are call, calling for a kind of a, a unity um coalition of all parties really to form a, a an emergency government for the next while so yeah. who knows what will happen um, so has there been a there's urgency in the south i think and they're in the midst of the urgency they're saying look we need to get something sorted quickly and i i admire that urgency has there has there been um an economic uh, package put together in the south in the same there, way as yeah there has yeah, yeah. i mean they're they're releasing different bits in different times i think today the, uh, from westminster there's going to be i mean i'm registered to pay taxes to hmrc so because i live in the north so um there's uh, there's measures for self-employed people being announced at some point today i'll catch it up later on when i listen mm-hmm. to the news so as a as a as a more um where do you put something like this as as somebody who's a theologian and um you know is it a biblical plague is it a <laughs> the the thing i think that people struggle with when i'm just meeting people in the street here and they're they're the they use this word strange all the time. It's strange. Oh, it's so strange. Everything's so strange. It's so weird. It's so strange. And it, it seems like a shorthand for a sort of a deeper um, sense of unease about um, what happens when the ground underneath you shifts in a way that you have zero control over, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, we don't know. Uh, I mean, I certainly don't think of it as a plague. I mean, when it comes to the way, when you look at the the, the biblical stories, the biblical stories are, uh, I mean, the Bible really is an extraordinary library of literature collected across um, centuries and millennia. The, the, the stories we have of that, um, from that, the stories that are kind of casting their mind back to plague times, for instance, are stories that were collected and edited and moved together through various narrators over hundreds of years. So there are recollections of something in the past. And people, when they're trying to make sense of the present, usually look to the past and come up with ways to make some moral categorization about why what happened in the past happened then. So therefore, here's what you should do today to avoid it. So the idea of um, referring to anything that's happening at the moment through the lens of the Bible, I think is um, really short-sighted, not in the sense of the magic of it, that's just obvious in terms of how short-sighted it is, but in the sense of having time enough to make sense of any lessons that can be taken from it. Um, yeah, so what, what are the lessons that can be taken from this? We won't know for a long time. And in a long time, there will be ways within which people will look back and people will make moral readings as to what should be said about the past and what should be said about oh, the various things that might have contributed to this in terms of um, <clears throat> spread of information through medical sources or um, rapidity or lack thereof from governmental sources. There will be more reckonings from this, but those will only come with time. And similarly, the biblical plagues um, were seen through moral reckonings with the passing of decades and centuries, so yeah. I'm sorry, I, I was I, I, I was being somewhat flippant in in using mm-hmm. that term, but I guess what I was trying to get at was how, was like how to um, how to process this set of experiences in a way that that helps to kind of make it comprehensible. Well, it's not comprehensible. That's the thing. 
And I, I think that's one of the things that oh, uh, the wisdom that we can get at the moment is to recognize that at the moment it's not comprehensible. There aren't the metrics. There isn't the landscape at the moment. You used the phrase earlier on, the ground's been taken out from underneath you. Absolutely. So there are practices at the moment that can make sense in terms of um, care, in terms of caution, in terms of listening to medical experts, in terms of finding new ways to work, in terms of you know recognizing how quick policy can change when there's urgent need, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think those are the immediate things to do regarding survival. Um, any conflict situation, and this is a conflict situation in a certain sense. Not that they're not that COVID nineteen is waging a war against humanity. COVID nineteen doesn't have consciousness, but you know people are in conflict with something that's got imminent threat to people and to populations and to economies. And any situation of conflict, in order to be able to make any sense of it, it needs to you need to have a relative level of safety before you can um, make serious analyses. Um, at the moment, what we're just um, stretching and aching towards is finding ways within which huge, huge, vast swathes of our societies can um, ensure relative safety for a while. Um, learning from this will come later. At the moment, I think people need to um, bed down into practices, washing your hands, social distancing or distance socialising, um, keeping um, physical space between themselves, minimising um, opportunities for this to spread, recognising that um, the, the curve, if it can be flattened in any way, will benefit um, an already stretched healthcare system. So uh, like I think those are the things to, to practice into at the moment. It's interesting that you used the term social distancing there and then you you flipped it and the, yeah. the distant socialising, which I, I think is kind of interesting. That The social distancing, I, um, you may know more about this than I do, but I, I was never familiar with that word, but it, that term... But it, it it is it is very striking to me how quickly terms um, sweep into your life, yeah, and yeah. suddenly suddenly you can't you, you know you can't turn a corner, but somebody's using it. You, you hear it. It's everywhere, everywhere now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, fair enough. It's you know it's necessary for a while, um, and grand social distancing, and then I see people talking about distance socialising, you know, and that's fair enough. But you know, it doesn't have to just be one term. Um, some people are saying, oh, you should talk about it in terms of physical distancing, um, you know, just so that people can see, can be aware that this is actually something that you can measure, like six feet, two meters, like keep that far away from each other. Um, it's yeah. funny, just the, 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 I was thinking more of the sort of the fluidity of language, though, that it just, mm -hmm. totally. you know, um, it, it's like the sea rushing in to, to yeah. fill a space, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And the, there is the, a new vocabulary has entered in, you know, COVID-19, coronavirus, all these they people, you know, talking about phrases, people who would possibly have said things before to go, oh, I have no head for medical terms, suddenly are able to refer to all of these new terminologies that are kind of WHO and public health um, uh, terminologies that otherwise they wouldn't have known and are very familiar with it and are abiding by it you know i know some people um where recently enough their mum died and so the first time that this woman that i know was visiting the grave of her mum um together with her dad they didn't hug um you know they stood six feet apart from each other at the um at the grave of their mother or wife and uh wept um but didn't comfort each other and it's quite extraordinary what people are doing, you know, and talked about that as kind of grieving through using um, quarantining or distance socializing or social distance or whatever you call it. Um, so it, it's amazing, A, the language like you're talking about, but B, then the way within which enormous amounts of people are um, 
uh, are practicing it at, at enormous cost. Yeah, it, 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 there, there's um, definitely a sense of having to think consciously about things which you previously would have just unconsciously done. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Shaking your friend's hand, hugging somebody, you know, whatever it is, uh, you know, all those kinds of things. If your hand touches the person who's in the shop, you know, when they're giving you your change back, you know, you wouldn't think twice about it. Um, whereas now there's signs everywhere saying, please don't use money, you know, please use cards or contactless if you can, so as to avoid, you know, I think if anybody did touch anybody else, there'd be a sense of going, my God, I need to wash my hands. Um, I guess it depends on the shop. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. In terms of biblical stuff, you were talking about earlier on. Like, there, there's all these ways within which I think sometimes, with a pretty anti-Semitic way, people can look at some of the laws that you find in ancient literatures, like the Quran, like the Bible, um, where people talk about um, being unclean or being, you know, those kinds of terms that you might have heard if you grew up in in cultures that were influenced by that. Not necessarily a devout culture, but a culture where public language about religion was 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 around like when you study some of those literatures one of the things you realize is that lots of the laws were about making sure that small populations of people didn't die out and they were the beginning of sanitary laws and so to recognize that if somebody had had an infection that they were unclean for a while and not to be touched but in for a week or two weeks and they were the beginning of public health measures and beginning of public sanitation measures. And so we see these days that we're talking about touch in a way that um, societies have had to reckon with for a very long time as they developed um, vocabularies to, to speak about questions to do with infection and sanitation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in many ways, this is a, a phenomenally um, uh what's the word, amplified measure of some, of some things that we've been talking about for a very long time. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I guess the idea of codifying particular desirable behaviours within, within those kind of texts, I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? Totally, yeah, yeah. I mean, people, I mean, those populations had a language and a culture and an evolving narrative that they, they, they wished would continue. And so there's going to be the codification of um, measures to keep a population alive. I mean, I'm a gay man, uh, so, I mean, I don't love it when I see bits in the book of Leviticus um, saying, you know, a man shall not lie with a man as he lies with a woman. It is an abomination. They shall be put to death. But I do also recognize that the primary anxiety in that was not morality. The primary anxiety about that was a population who were desperate to keep their population alive. So they were saying, if you can have the babies, have the babies. You know, that was the primary anxiety, but it wasn't about heaven or hell or about homophobia, even in terms of these concepts. It was desperate people, desperate to stay alive. And so um, you see ways within which um, rules that are that have sprung up within a particular context um, are utterly understandable within that context. And there will be basically pop up rules that we'll notice now. That would be very under, very important, um, and the interesting thing would be what will the experience like in the immediate immediate aftermath of it be like? Will people trust it? Will some people stay isolated for a lot longer simply because they're not sure? How will populations of people um, come up with new ways to communicate their consent or not regarding human touch? Yeah, and 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 not even just regarding human touch. I mean, it it. it 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 can take so long to establish sometimes um, 
it can take so long to establish bonds that um you know i have a sense that for some people um i mean who knows it might be i might be one of them that that um they're quite easily sundered if you're not able to to maintain them in the way that that you're used to do you know what i mean yeah um say more um well say more um <laughs> um well, I, I guess, um, I, like, I'm a hugger. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and um, on, a, on a very superficial level, you know, not being able to do that is, is, is kind of strange when I go and, you know, I have a, a few close friends here. But, but also the, the idea that, um, that there are people, probably, I, I've seen a couple of people who are sort of acquaintances uh, on social media who are clearly struggling with the idea of being on their own mm, and, and clearly struggling with the idea of being physically on their own and deprived of mm. the particular uh, social outlets that they have. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, that's a worry, obviously. And um, there, there are these sort of knock-on effects of the, of the isolation that, that will... Yeah. Be, and and some of those will be invisible because a, a lot of the more vulnerable populations are tend to be invisible anyway. Yeah, I know it'll be hard. It'll be a particular thing to measure this. My guess is, you know, depending as to how long it lasts, and my my guess is it'll be a lot longer than the few weeks that some places are speaking of. You know, it'll be months really. Um, the the impact of this in terms of the next number of years in terms of um, social relations, in terms of the way that people are around each other. Um, and then when you think of the economy, what, what will um, new insurance policies look like for people getting work, workplace protection? And that's just one industry. Um, that'll be a very strange thing to, to measure the uh, the ways within which all that changes too. Um, so, yeah, I, I just want to ask you a couple of other things and then I'll, I'll let you go. Um, <laughs> Um, it's been striking to me that um, that very quickly, because of the urgency of the situation, people are um, willing to allow the state to direct them and direct their behaviour in very aggressive ways. Um, I'm wondering how, once this begins to subside, this immediate crisis, how we as a society are able to reassert our, our freedom. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to sound like a U.S. like a libertarian or something, but you know, clearly there's a need for there's a need for measures. But I I, I often think about just how how eagerly a state will gather power onto itself. It's like a it's like it's like a panic shopper. You know, it's got fifteen loaves of bread and all the eggs in the trolley, and they always want more. You know. Well, it, it'll be a matter of um, learning how to measure competing assertions. Um, as well as then learning how to know when is the stage when there is a enough information, be enough wisdom, and see enough leadership to say, okay, we're we're introducing changes now. We're 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 toning this back. I always think that when it comes to community studies and group dynamic studies, and you can see this in terms of state that groups gets into too, it can be easy to get into it. There's urgency, you know, you do, a, a war is declared and you ask for this, a, a pandemic is declared and you ask for the following. And often the energy is there for that because it's new and because panic is high and because threat is high. But the question will be, 
what's the what are the borderlands of getting out of that like who will negotiate that what would be the new considerations what would be the ways within which there can be civic political and public ritual for for changing that um, and those will be very interesting measures of public leadership both on the level of, of, of big politic as well as on the level of parochial um you know when Places of worship reopen, when pubs reopen, when all of these kinds of things happen. Well, how how are those things going to be um, ritualized and initiated, and what language will we put around them? It'll be very interesting to to notice that, and then certainly measures and powers that have been taken by government for extraordinary times, how will those things um, formally and then in fact as well be relinquished? It'll be interesting mm-hmm. to know. Yeah. Um, what are you reading at the minute? Do you do you tend to go towards reading particular things when for um, solace or perspective at a time like this? Um, well, there is no perspective. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm very agnostic, and so like at the moment there is there is just what can we all do to keep as many people alive as possible. I think that's my main focus um, at the moment. In terms of what I'm reading. Um, so let me see. I am uh, reading the complete works of W.B. Yeats. I am reading the poetry of Audre Lorde. I am reading lots of a French um, feminist writer called Hélène Sixou. Um, she's quite magnificent. Um, yeah, I'm reading. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see, I just read a book the other day uh, by Gareth Greenwell called What Belongs to You. Um, I read a lot of poetry, so um, mm-hmm. hence Gates. Or, but then I've got you know individual volumes of poetry. Um, one of the things I notice at the moment is that people are turning to things that give them comfort. Um, you see all kinds of um, podcasts springing up. There has been a kind of a podcast um, revolution the last few years, anyway. But I think people are turning toward podcasts. Um, I'm part of that whole wave too. I just started a podcast with the On Being Studios um, from the United States. I'm presenting a poetry podcast that started in January, and I've noticed that people are turning to that podcast as well as to other ones mm-hmm. to pay attention to um, how um, literature, um, uh, poetry, the recital of things in some kind of formulaic way can help introduce a level of calm and some kind of um, comfort and consolation. And I think that's a really interesting thing. The 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 well-being industry, um, I think sometimes people would look at it and just think, oh, for God's sake, it's kind of self-involved. But when you look at times like this, when anxieties are high and there is um, a recognition that there is a, a lack of immediate access to the full information because we simply don't know, um, we understand that actually a little bit of well-being, a little bit of relaxing, finding something that's comforting, finding rituals that hold you together during days when you know you don't know, those things are really important and can really help a family and a community. Yeah, I, I I do find poetry is a is an interesting thing to to move towards, in part because um, within for me anyway within <laughs> within a lot of poetry there's there's so much in there that's unknowable <laughs> that um, it seems appropriate for I don't know it seems to kind of fit with the the mood that I'm in particularly at a time like this you know. Yeah, that's an interesting thing to turn toward the things that are formally unknowable or, or are formally flexible and can be read in different moods with different um, approaches. It's a very interesting idea. 